We sang in three languages today, and now I'm going to preach in French. So um, the gift of interpretation of, of tongues can be a handy one for some of us today. We are still anchoring in 2023. Sense them a heart to anchor us with a few basics, things that we've worked through as a congregation. If you're new, this might be new to you, what we're going to do today and work through, but we're going to anchor in some basics that would set us up um, in 2023. So we're continuing in that anchoring 2023 in the Rouleau. So um, in the Rouleau, if you can at any stage during the sermon put up your hand and tell me within the context of the sermon what is what am I referring to when I'm saying in the Rouleau, then you can get the chocolates. Lo, you can't do it now. Lo googled it. But we, you, he first needs to put it into context with the sermon. And if you can beat him to that, I'm not sure what you're at, Lo, but I hope someone can beat Lo to it in the context of the sermon. Then you can come and fetch your chocolate. Not now. No, no, no. We first have to get to it. Um... Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that as your spirit moved in us now in worship, that you would continue your word and your spirit to guide us, to love us, to move us, to transform us. We consecrate ourselves to you now. I consecrate my heart, mind, my mouth to you. For your glory's sake, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be speaking about making decisions, uh, big decisions, small decisions, but about making decisions as a Christian. In the phase of life that most of us are in, we are making a lot of decisions, big life decisions for most of it, right? This is a time in your life where you set yourself up for the rest of your life and small decisions, big decisions, um, and a lot of options. And so as Christians, we should think about the way that we make these decisions. You might um, have a few decisions in front of you at this stage. Decisions we often, f- often face. Uh, should I take this job? Want a yes or a no from God? I go to my quiet time, yes, no, yes, no, a green light, red light. Um, should I take this job? Should I move in with those friends? Should we buy this house? Should I pursue this career? Should I marry him? Should I, be, should I move abroad? Should I run the comrades? <laughs> should I go to Europe for a month? I want to give you 30 seconds just to think about and maybe write down what's, what's the big question that you're sitting with right now what's the big decision or big question that you're sitting with right now just think about it for 30 seconds maybe write it down somewhere
Sometimes these decisions run as undercurrents in our hearts, and then on a day we need to make them, and then we make them on whatever basis model, and uh, they turn out to affect the rest of our lives, and we might often be at danger of not taking it serious enough um, when we do make these big decisions. We're not only going to speak about big ones, but small ones as well. Um, a couple of our principles to start out with, obviously as followers of Christ, I think you would agree with me that we don't just make decisions based on what we want, since those who have come to Christ have crucified what they want and decided to follow Jesus. So from that, from that vantage point, um, I want to read a scripture in Proverbs 25 verse 2, um, one of my favorite scriptures. It says so much about God and his heart for us, but it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now, we are a royal priesthood, right? We are co-heirs with Christ. We are the kings that the scriptures is referring to. Now, who of you have ever had a hard time to try and figure out what it is that God wants me to do? Hands up. Uh-huh. So maybe God considers you a king. And it is glory to conceal the matter. And it's your glory to search it out. Which means, by, de- by definition, that it's not just obvious and right in front of you. Yes, no, go and get out and move on. But there's something beautiful locked up in the fact that God invites us to search the matter out. To bring our whole hearts and all we are to find this matter. It's a privilege. And so often we, we don't really want to go into this place. We want to get quick answers from God. And then I find that a lot of the times we often um, fall back on concepts like open doors and peace. Okay, Open doors and peace can be good indicators of what God wants and how you should make a decision. But if that's what you base your decision on, you might be very wrong. In that, just because it is an open door, and I'm saying this just because it's, it seems to be kind of a common doctrine around, like I'm just going to do whatever, and then if the door opens, then it's God. But Maverick's door is always open. Would that be from God if you go in? So open doors is not necessarily always from God. Jesus had three open doors with him when Satan tempted him. He could have entered into that if he wanted. It was open, Right? So open doors doesn't mean God. So we don't just almost want to say we're subscribing to a different, a different faith if that's the way that we make decisions. It can be part of how God confirms things. But we cannot just say I'm going to do whatever and then if the door opens then it has to be God. Note that. The second one, note peace. Oh, I feel peace about this. Well, Jesus didn't feel as much peace about the cross. Neither did Paul about going to jail. Neither, neither did my wife about moving into a community house. But somehow the peace of God overcomes our fears, overcomes the things, you know. Jesus went to God and pleaded with tears of blood. And then an angel came and strengthened him and then he could 
do it. So yes, there was a sense of peace that came, but he, he was definitely not led by peace, right? And so peace can be a good indicator, but it can also be an indicator of our hearts. Because our hearts find a lot of, can find a lot of peace in the fact that this new job offers me 50,000 rand more than the previous one. Also, so open doors and peace are good, but they can be dangerous. Don't cop out and use them when you're actually invited by God to search a matter out and seek Him. He's intensely personal and intimately involved. He's not just going to open some door somehow and then you're going to find it and walk through it and you're not going to know where God is in all this, but somehow you believe this is God. It's more aligned to the Muslim faith than the Christian one, to be honest. The truth of the matter is we often use our energy of which we have a lot. We, we use it to seek many things, but God keeps us honest in this and say, well, you say you really want to know what I say, but to what extent are you really seeking me with all your heart? Because you're using a lot of energy on other stuff. So he keeps us honest in this privilege that we have to really seek him out. So make sure that you really seek him out. He's not being silent for no reason. He's giving you the honor to search his depths and find him. But then there is the odd moments where it seems that through all your seeking and searching that God remains completely silent. Now, not to say that just because you went to him once and you didn't quite know what to do, that that means you can... Now assume that he will be silent on the matter. Because remember the king's search out. But then what would happen hypothetically let's say. If God would be completely silent. What would your model of decision making be? And I want to just say that right here we find the distinction between an orphan spirit that's within us. And the spirit. Spirit of a child of God that understands his or her identity. The one with the orphan spirit, and don't shy away and say, well, I obviously don't have one, would make the decisions that would be the best for them. So if God wouldn't say anything, I would choose what's best for my life. It seems to me that happens. It seems to me it's so prevalent that not hating our lives, but loving our lives becomes then the motive for our decisions. If God would be completely silent, well, I'd have to make the decision that would fit whatever's best for my family, what I like the most, what is security and, and safety, what's on my bucket list, what's comfortable. It shows an orphan mentality. And, and I'm not saying it harshly. I'm saying, also saying with this God wants to heal that and show you who you are in him so that you can be free from that running towards something that makes you feel safe. You're already safe in following him. So the orphan spirit would say, well, if he doesn't say anything, I'm just going to find whatever is good for me and do that. The one that understands his identity in Christ, and we're going to speak about that today. I'm just introducing us into this topic with a few principles but understanding that you're a son of God and you're a co-heir with Christ if God would say nothing you would choose the thing that you believe would have the most kingdom impact and glorify God the most that's what you would choose then 
even to your own detriment. Where's your heart at? God wants to heal that. He wants to heal that. Because there's a kingdom that you're inheriting. If, you, if, if, if you're willing to step out of the mentality of me, but say, I, I, I hate my life. <laughs> I hate my life. I want the life you have. Hating my life does not mean hating yourself, hating others, hating God. No, hating my life is this thing that I make of it. These things I do, these things I chase. Hating that and saying, God, I want what you have because I know what I know that's better. I know that's where my inheritance lies. So maybe some of us have to respond in our hearts to this and go to God and say, God, if I'm honest with myself, if you don't say anything, I'm going to choose my life. Make sure to bring that before God. All right. So a couple of introductory principles. Many of you have heard me on these these uh, these things. Um, I'd really like us to anchor in them and to wrestle with them. And then, in my journey with God and the way I see in Scripture as well. I believe God inspired me and gave me this model that really, really helps me and us to make good decisions and to know how to, how to, how to engage decisions um, in the way that we see them play out in Scripture, in Israel, in the life of Jesus, in the life of Paul, and the way my journey has been has echoed this, and I've Put it together in a little Venn diagram, um, and I'm going to work through that this morning because I, I'd like to give it to you as a um, tool in your life to use. So, it's about hearing God, understanding what God is saying. We understand what he says through his voice speaking to us, through his word that speaks to us and through his, through his body and those confirm each other. And as they confirm over time, we build a knowledge of the things that we know that God has said. So those are the arrows on the left. And then the three circles, they, you could see that they overlap. There's, there's places where two of them overlap and then there's the sweet spot where all three of them overlaps. Um, so how this thing works is it basically says that, hey, we need to hear God on three different things. And I'll show you that in Scripture as we go. We need to hear Him on who He says we are, our identity. We can't make decisions about what to do, where to go, and what to say yes and no to if we don't understand who we are, who He has made you to be. That's the first thing. If I wake up in the middle of the night and say, who does God say you are? You should be able to have it front of mind. Because then you can evaluate whatever comes to you. Do that. Like, if I'm called and I know I'm made and called to be a cricket player and someone comes to me with a basketball contract, am I going to go to God and say, God, help me to know if this is from you? No, because I already know that I'm confirmed a cricket player. Right? So we don't get distracted by that. And also... 
if we know what the Father says about us, and it's not only about going through Scripture and seeing everything that might be true about you, but it's, it's getting that intense personal revelation from the Father and who He has made you to be that anchors you through life, that anchors you through the trials, that anchors you when things are really difficult and when you're really unsure. And if you really fail, you need them to say that you are still His and you're still Okay, identity, mission, we need to know what we are called to do. So each one of us, is we're on a journey to figure out what is this life that God has called me to. And a, a, a lot of us more works-driven, the works-driven types among us, we just seek that. We want to know what we're called to do, so we seek God on it. God, what is my calling? And honestly, most of us want that more than want we want to know our identity, because that that calms the nagging legalist inside of us that wants to prove ourselves and God that we're worth it. So we search for this mission, but the mission can't stand on its own. We need to know who we are in the mission. And above that, or with that also, we need to know the season that God has called us into. We need to know, what does that look like right now? Now, in this time in my life, in this time in the history of the world where I'm located right now for the next few years or months or whatever, what does that look like right now? And if we can have a clear perspective on where those three things intersect, who I am, what I'm called to, and what the season is all about, we would be right there in the middle, very close to knowing what God is saying already. Making decisions from there, small decisions are very easy because we're already exactly positioned where God has said we should be. And it's not every, we can't go to God with a blank canvas every time because God doesn't give you a blank canvas every time and forgets everything that he has said already. So we build into knowing what God has said over our lives and that helps us to understand how to make the decisions that comes over our path. So let me give you some examples. When God speaks identity, then we're going to go back to the model, look at the intersections and all of that. But when God speaks identity, I've used a couple of examples. Jesus, before Jesus' ministry starts, before it starts, before he does anything, God comes and the people hear this voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He confirms identity over him before he does anything. To Peter, while Peter is still a loose cannon and he's still going to mess up a lot going forward, Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. You're a rock in the kingdom of God, that is what I've made you for. I'm going to build my church on you. He confirms his identity. And you see, he makes it intensely personal. We can't all go around and say, well, I'm a rock. God has made me to be a rock because he's told it to Peter. No. In that, we see that we should seek God out to find what he says about you. <laughs> and, and Paul the Apostle Paul, he had, some, he had a lot of encounters with God from being knocked off a horse to being in 
um, the third heaven, we believe. And he knew that he was called to be an apostle. Not called to do the things apostles do. That comes later. But he's called to be an apostle. You are an apostle. He somehow got from God. Identity things that comes before doing things. Auxiliary verbs is are to be. It's a, it's a um, they call it state of being verbs. A verb because it does link to doing something. Of course, you can't be something if you're not doing it. Then it's hypocritical in a way. But it's a state of being before it's a thing that we do. And you need to go wrestle God for this. That when I wake you up in the middle of the night and ask you who you are, that you smile, broaden your shoulders and say, you know what my father says about me? And then you say it. What would you say? right now would you be able to say as peter said i'm i'm a rock and he's going to build his church on me i'm his beloved son and whom he's well pleased i'm an apostle he speaks identity first always it seems even with adam and eve said, in the image of God, I created them, male and female, he created them, Genesis 127. In 128, he gives them work to do. So first, he confirms the identity of those that he's made, who they are in his image. And then he says, okay, now here's your mission. And the mission he gives them is fill, next slide, fill the earth and subdue it. Wow. Identity first, and then comes the mission, fill the earth and subdue do it. Jesus gives us and all believers the man that go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And to Peter, on the back of what Jesus told him, you are this rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. Peter messed up and denied him three times, and then Jesus asked him three times after that, do you love me to restore him? And he told him right there to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep. He put action words into what it would mean for Peter to be this rock. And said, now feed my sheep, tend my lamb. And he knew, oh God, you said I would be this rock on which you'd build my church. And now you've given me a key on what I need to do in order to be what you've called me to be. Here we find exciting, action-filled verbs. Fill, subdue, go, make, feed, tend. Following God is very exciting it's a riveting journey and he definitely i believe wants to show us the things that he has called us to do as we seek him when god speaks season continuing with the adam and eve train he said he asked adam to name the animals right but we, God and Adam, knows the logic of the fact that he won't be naming animals for the rest of his life, right? He's got a lot of other stuff to do as well. But there was a time when Adam was called to name the animals. In his filling the earth and subduing, there was a partnership with God where God said in that moment, Now, oh, I want you to name the animals. And whatever you say, that will be its name. That was a season that Adam was in. And he knew it. Jesus would often, quite a few times, 
say this thing. He would say, no, 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 no. I can't go up to the Feast of Tabernacles or mom, I can't do these things yet. <laughs> My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Jesus knew the season he was in. Jesus spent about 20 years working as a carpenter. If you look at this, what Jesus did throughout his life, he's, he, he was, his ministry that we read about on a, on a, on a life, uh, what would you call this, uh, life timeline, was about this long. And for about this long, he was a carpenter doing only what he sees the father doing was cop was doing carpentry for 20 years imagine that what do we think it is to follow him but jesus knew the season he knew his brother said hey man can't be famous it's the it's the it's a feast of of tabernacles you should come and preach and do your miracles everyone's gonna be there and they'll know the messiah's come and you'll be famous man you do miracles. Obviously, you want everyone to see it. And he said, oh, no, my time has not yet come for that. Jesus knew the season. And Paul knew seasons when he says in Acts 16, 6, that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. Now, if you would stop it right there, you'd say, but that's impossible. The Holy Spirit would forbid you to preach the word in Asia. But if we understand what season means, we understand that God is saying you cannot go to Asia to preach the word there now. We cannot live in a place of presumption. We must live from relationship. We cannot just say, well, it's always good to preach the word in and out of season. Well, that's one way. But then we have to interpret it with the scripture and understand that if we take them both into context, we know that we need to hear God to know where to go in a specific season. Of our lives. It was not the season to preach the word in Asia. The Pharisees were rebuked by Jesus for not being able to read the seasons. Remember? They say, oh, you can read the weather, but you can't read the signs of the times. And the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament, they were commended in Scripture because they understood the times. We're called to understand the times. We're called to understand the season that we are in, that the world is in. Because that puts into context what our mission is and what it should be right now and what parts of it might be in play at the moment. And our identity keeps all of that, I would say, safe and intact. So going back to the model, I believe that you see with me that these things are clear in Scripture, that identity precedes mission, but that season definitely influences both of those things. That Paul knew who he was, but he knew at certain times he could not do certain things, although he had mandates to travel all through Asia and Europe to preach the gospel. So what we're looking for is that intersection right in the middle. Because if we know who we are and what we are called for, so I know that I am called to be an apostle and I'm called to be um, and I'm called to preach the word to the Gentiles and I know what I'm supposed to do and I could continue doing that without ever hearing God again in my life. But then I'd miss the season the whole time and I'd be preaching in Asia where I shouldn't be. And that's sometimes what we do. Or 
You know who you are. God has worked in you a lot. You know who you are in Him. You're safe and secure in Him. And you know the season. And a lot of us are like that. You know the season. I'm called to be in Cape Town now. I know the way God gave me that job and things that happened. And I'm secure in who I am. And I know the season is here now. But, but, but do you know what for? Or are you just being here and now you're on a joyride in Cape Town because it's, the mission isn't clear to you? That happens very often. Especially in Cape Town. No, I should be here now. I know I'm safe in Christ. But I don't know what for. So let's go to the Raniazach market. Nothing against the Raniazach market. You know what I mean. And what's also a danger is if we would know what we're called for. I'm called for orphan and vulnerable ch- children. I'm called for business. I'm called for this. I know what God has called me for, he's confirmed it, he showed it to me, it's clear in my heart. And I know the season, I should be here in Cape Town, so I know where I should be, I know what I should do. But if you don't know who you are in God, you'll be in works mode trying to please God and show everyone that you're actually good enough and that you can fulfill the things that God has, has given you to fulfill. You'll be working at it to please God and yourself. And to earn acceptance. And that's works mode. We want to stay away from that. So you see that even if sometimes when we do hear some things from God, we feel we so easily feel justified in that we've heard something. We had a clear confirmation about something. And that's great. But the kings search him out in all things the whole time. They never cease. And they build this thing that they 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 build this into this model of knowing what God has said throughout their lives. When we hear one thing and we just go and run, often it's that sense of you feel so justified. You feel so justified by the fact that you've actually heard one thing that you close your eyes to everything else and you focus on that. And that's not a bad thing, but I want to invite you into more than that. I want to invite you into full surrender and full flourishing and a full understanding so that when the job opportunity comes in Joburg, for instance, you would immediately know if this might be God or if this is not at all God because you're very close to God and you've already heard him on so many different levels. Anyone keen on the chocolate at this stage? Aubrey, is what? What does it mean in the context of this sermon? (laughs) Yeah, okay. You can have it, Aubrey. What? Verjaardag. Was it gister? Hey, Aubrey, waar gelijk met jou van jaarsdag? Kom, haal jou chocolates, hou. The reload triangle. How do you know that, Aubrey? Did you Google it, or was it some engineer thing? Some engineer thing. I had to Google it. That triangle is called a reload triangle, uh, where three circles intersect and form that thing. That's a reload. 
So, where do we want to be? In the low, in the sweet spot. Aubrey will be enjoying his sweet spot. Um, I'm sure he doesn't mind sharing. So, what I'm inviting you to is, I'm inviting you to use this specific tool. I'm inviting you guys that is making the biggest decisions of your life, a lot of the biggest decisions of your life right now from the age of 25 to age of 40, to look at the way that Scripture um, shows us that God speaks to us and the way that God helps us to know what to do. And maybe it's good to say that if you are not as systematic as this and this just freaks you out, but you are lying at the feet of Jesus every day just seeking Him, God will take you on this journey without this model. You don't need it if you really seek Him. But it really helps those of us that is more like this to understand the patterns and things that God has used in Scripture. And then we can go and search Him out in those areas to find where we should be at. So I want you to take two or three minutes and just write down off by heart. Take out something to write on. Just write. If I'd ask you right now, like, to write down what you know about your identity, what would you say? Write that down and then write down, if I'd ask you, what's the mission that God has called you for? What are the anchors that he has revealed to you already? What would you say? And about season, what is it that he has confirmed? So just take two minutes and write down the things that you know of by heart when it comes to these things.
for many of us, it's true that God has spoken. And he has said many things throughout the course of our life. We often just don't remember them and then we continue as if he didn't say them. And um, for this reason, because God knows we're like that. I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, he had the priests like put things on their heads and their arms and stuff to just be reminded of the laws of God always, to remind them of it. If <laughs> in the uh, like prophecy about the new covenant, it says that God will write them on our hearts and on our minds. We need to, those things that was externally placed on the heads of the priest, God wants to write these things that he speaks to us on our hearts and on our minds so that we'd know them. If it's on, in your mind, then you know it. It's clear to you. If it's on your heart, then you feel it. It's real to you. And so we need to make sure that the things God say is not only things that's in some journal, but it's things that is front of mind and things that's in our heart. That's why I'm asking you to write it off by heart. Because when the decision comes across your path and someone says, let's do the comrades next year. And you, can, and you know, but I'm called to be a prayer warrior. And my only time to pray, I would now have to spend running. There is no way. It would be clear to you because you know. We make so many decisions in our lives because in that moment, we don't have the ways of God and the words of God in our hearts and in our minds right with us, right in front of us. And Paul urges Timothy and says, you must wage war with the prophecies made concerning you. The things that were spoken over you, the words from God that were spoken over you, when things get really rough and you don't know what to do and where to go, use the words that's been spoken over your life as weapons. Declare them, know them, stick to them. So we need to know them. And we need to know these things off off by heart. I'd really want to encourage you to do that. And as you write these things and you feel, uh, I'm not really sure I have anything to write in this space. Go wrestle with God. He's inviting you to. Go wrestle with Him. So, what is it that you need to speak to spend time with God on. I'm asking each one of you to think about this. What is it that you think you need to spend time with God on? And whatever that might be, I want you to bring that before God. Write it down now if you're working in your journal and you're going to revisit it tomorrow. So write that down and then start engaging this um, as the worship team comes forward and as we are going to close with a song i want you to while we sing that you just declare what's in your heart to god and that you would ask his holy spirit to help you see the world has got so many ways that it is it has given us whereby we make decisions Unconsciously so, 
just make decisions because that's the way the world works. The world says if the, if the salary is higher, take it. If you get a promotion, it's, it's from God. Like, there's so many things that we just do because the way the world works has been, has been shown us. And our flesh often has its own way as well. But I believe that, and it is obviously true, that whatever this is, the, wherever the, the neural pathway is the strongest, that will inevitably win in your mind and in your heart and in your decision making. So you need to bring these things into remembrance and more than remembrance, bring it down into your being so that you move from this place doesn't matter what comes over your path. You know who you are, what you've been called for, and where you should be right now. And that's not a once-off quiet time. You might be embarking on this if it's for the first time. You might only have a proper real framework in five years from now, and then you'd start building it for the rest of your life. But start with this. So your decisions in this life can be anchored in the will and the word of God. You can all stand with us. And the worship team will lead us in a song and you can worship along, but please.